This show is for every woman who has accepted pain and discomfort as inherent to being a woman, or who has denied any part of themselves to make it or feel accepted. Women of reproductive age have been left out of a lot of research because our bodies and our hormones are considered too complicated. What is worse is this idea trickles down to education, leaving most women with very little information about how their bodies work. Not only are we not taught how our bodies work, but once you start asking questions, it is surprisingly difficult to find answers. I believe that every woman deserves to know how her body works, to recognize when symptoms arise, and to feel confident in her inner voice. Because the pain, the mood swings, and the hormones are not your problem. They're your body's messengers. I am here to confront and change narratives around being a woman, being hormonal, and yes, PMSing. I'm your host, Brianna Villegas, and welcome to My Hormone Rants. Today, I'm getting into kind of a fun topic to answer, do our cycles actually sync up with our sisters, with our moms, with our friends, with our roomies? You know, we've heard the jokes, the snide remarks. It's a common trope in television and movies. But is there any foundation in this? There's actually quite a bit of research on this phenomenon. It first came out, this idea, in 1971 and sparked a ton of conversation in the media and sparked a ton of follow-up studies to understand, is this a real thing? What could be underlying this process? And the studies that support this really focused on initially looking at the relationships and found things like friends synchronize, but mothers and daughters do not, or it depends on the quality of the relationship. And then all sorts of things like group size, age, diversity, how regular their cycle is, are they on contraceptives? And some researchers found that friendships, common activities, cohabitating, and the amount of time spent together correlated to syncing up as well as exposure to ovarian-based pheromones. And this is probably one of the most commonly held view of like what the underlying basis is that just as much as we would let off pheromones that would signal to the opposite sex that we were more fertile or for us to be more attractive for reproductive purposes, this might also be sending signals to other women. However, there are also many studies that pointed out that there were tons of flaws in the methodology that calls into question a lot of these findings. And one of the first is in previous research in the 70s compared to present day methods is establishing like what would just happen by chance. And with menstrual cycles where some women a cycle very regularly and others are irregular, just based on chance, this could happen around 50% of the time. So the burden of proof is to say that this is happening more than 50% of the time and that there's this real pattern. Other critiques of the research have said that the observation period was too short or the measures of onset of menstrual phase were not very accurate. A common problem in this research is lack of diversity in the type of women included. The pheromone studies had lots of flaws. And some of the key things that follow-up studies showed that really discredit this idea in general is that very few studies showed any evidence that lesbian couples synchronized, which would obviously be the prime candidates for this, cohabitating close proximity and the most exposed to any pheromones. Then the other one is that when they looked at ovulation in the fertile window, as opposed to just menstruation, they never found that any fertile windows synced to one another. Um, So this really 
debunked a lot of this idea. But I think it's interesting when we consider what we talked about last week with moon cycles is that if women are synchronizing to the moon, or at least some women are, it could be that women do sync up, but that the reason is not that women sync. It's that we may be being affected by the same external factors. I think this also is interesting in terms of the finding that mothers and daughters didn't sync all the time, but sisters did. And this, again, if we look at the findings that we found from the synchronization with the moon study, was that changes in cycle length across the lifespan made it less likely for older women to synchronize with the moon compared to younger women in their more prime fertile years. If there's some scientific basis that we could be syncing up with the phases of the moon, then it would make sense that younger women who have a more consistent 29-day cycle would be more likely to bleed at the same time than with their mothers who may be in that phase where their cycle lengths are extending. But what's really interesting is that even though there's not a lot of scientific basis to support it, women still do believe that this happens. Um, There was one study, and it was an interview-based qualitative study, just asking women about what they thought around synchronization and why they think it might happen. It was a small subset of women, about 20 women, but 95% of them believed that it happened, and 90% said that they had experienced it themselves. And with follow-up questions, a few sort of themes came out of why women believe this to be true. They mentioned things about you know, this created connection with other women, created a more emotional closeness. And others pointed to this was reflective of a hierarchy. And so the more dominant, most fertile, kind of alpha female would cause other women to sink to her. Others believed in a more magical, mystical phenomena, that it was a telepathic, nonverbal way of communicating between women, and also had this lean towards being a potential positive connection between other women, as well as reflecting dominance within the social hierarchy. Other women pointed to biological causes, and they referenced the idea that it's hormonal or pheromone basis for the synchrony. And then the final theme that came up was an idea that the synchronization could help manage or overcome negative experiences or views of menstruation, And so these ideas really fluctuated between an idea of shame around periods of hiding things and then ideas of solidarity. One example in particular was talking about the idea of anger. And some women talked about the synchrony provided an opportunity to express anger without the social stigma. One woman talked about her colleagues at work when they all synced up. It was like, okay, we can all just you know, bitch about things together. And then the rest of the time we'll all be, you know, fine. But it allowed for it to be kind of a safe place to express anger without anyone pointing fingers and saying like, oh, it must be your time of the month or isolating someone out as there's something wrong with her or she's just being a bitch as opposed to we all know what's going on. We're all in this together and then we'll all move out of it together. And so the authors talk about this idea that menstrual synchrony is one of these spaces where women can claim out loud this positive female bond and as such like need 
opportunities for this expression. So they talked about this idea of like, if we just remove this idea and tell them like, this is false, this is not real, it essentially removes the one conversation that allows for this connection because of all the social stigma that menstruation carries. And so they highlight that what's really necessary is to create spaces and create ways and opportunities for women to discuss these experiences and to be open about these experiences and to normalize them so that we don't have to rely on debunk science to find that connection. And I think that's so important. Menstruation is something that happens for such a significant portion of our lives And it's during this time where we're creating so many friendships and developing our social network. And so for that part of ourselves not to be acknowledged or to only be acknowledged in negative ways to show that it should be hidden or kept quiet can do a lot of damage. Not only in how we feel about ourselves, but just lack of education and knowledge about how these things actually work, that women are not crazy, that there is this hormonal basis and if you understand it you can work with it and actually use it to your advantage and so I think the biggest opportunity and the most important one in terms of opening this dialogue is with education around our cycles and this at this point needs to happen you know across the board there's so many women who don't know how their cycle works even though they've been cycling for years, they may have had kids and gone through all of the process and the outcomes of what the cycle does, but don't know what it actually means, how to interpret it, and how to work with it. And learning about these things is so essential because if we don't learn it, we also can't pass this down. And young girls need to be understanding these things and having these conversations so much earlier than we are now so that they get started on the right foot, so that they can make these educated decisions around their health, around birth control, around their careers and work, so that they're actually in tune with that inner voice to know how to create a life that they want to live and one that they're going to enjoy living. And so it's so important that these dialogues are being open in the home, among friends, and even in the workplace. Right now, You may have heard that there's debates going on in corporations and in countries, Spain in particular is debating legislation around menstrual leave. The research talking about the potential benefits versus negative side effects of introducing menstrual leave all come down to essentially this idea that if we don't deal with the social stigma, creating programs that other women, and not that it's intended to other women, but By not dealing with social stigma, it highlights that there's something, you need some sort of special accommodation, and that can feed into this narrative that women maybe shouldn't be in the workplace at all in some places, in some countries, in some cultures, or that women shouldn't be paid the same if they get these special treatments and different things. And so it can have a negative effect, not just between genders, but also you know, women who have like, I've worked so hard to get here, like I'm not about to let my period be the thing that, you know, stops me from reaching my goals or getting that promotion. So open dialogue in the workplace, meaning that it's just as normal to say, I have a hormonal migraine or I'm having really bad cramps today, I'm going to work from home, should be as easy to say and as 
accepted of a reason for taking a PTO day or working from home or having some kind of accommodation as someone who is under the weather, someone who has a fever, someone who has a cold, these normal biological experiences that we have. And it's important to have the education so that we're not just implementing these programs in terms of the debilitating parts of unhealthy cycles. And also, how do we talk about the work week? Like right now, the UK is testing out a four-day work week. If we're talking about these accommodations that are more supportive of mental health and physical health and sustainable productivity and eliminating burnout, we should also be having this conversation around the way that women work and how the way we work is different and how that can come into the conversation. But again, that doesn't happen without the education piece. I think we also need to see more women as directors and filmmakers who can replace these tropes about female emotion being invalid due to periods or syncing up discrediting the power in female unity or the way that it pits women and young girls against each other as opposed to creating a bond through a shared experience. And we see this with pregnancy as well. There's so many issues that divide women based on their choices of are you going all natural or are you like that's crazy why wouldn't you take drugs if you're available or you have you know the emergency c-section that's like here's all the things that could have potentially avoided that and people feel like they did something wrong because that's how their birth ended or the elected c-section who's choosing that this is the way that they want to give birth or if you're bottle feeding and formula feeding versus breast milk And this has come up so loudly in the current formula shortage that women should just breastfeed as if our society and culture is actually supporting breastfeeding moms. And it is not. It is so hard to maintain a supply when you're going back to work at six to eight weeks. It's so hard to maintain it when you're trying to pump within these short windows of available time between work tasks when your body is stressed, your not having that exposure to your baby and getting that immediate feedback that your baby gives about growth spurts and all these things. So there's so much that comes into play that is not set women up for success. The list just goes on and on of the way that women are pitted against each other around how their bodies function and the choices they make around their bodies. The way we talk about it matters. Thank you so much for listening. If you want more great episodes like this one, subscribe on iTunes, follow on Spotify, or wherever you listen. And be sure to share with someone who could also benefit from this information. And if you want to learn more about how I can help you stop normalizing your symptoms and start optimizing your experience, head to BriannaVegas.com or find me on Instagram at Coaching.